Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the head beat writer for the Oklahoman on the Thunder, Joe Masato. Joe, how are you doing? Good morning, Michael. Here we are, August 8th. NBA is pretty quiet, but you know who's not going to be quiet? Us. We are not going to be quiet. We are going to talk about the NBA and the Thunder. We might be yelling at a brick wall, but we're here. Hopefully it can reverberate yes. and like bounce over to some people and we don't sound like we're crazy. Yeah, you know, some people, um, I, I assume if you're listening to this, you want your NBA fix even when nothing is going on in the NBA. And um, we're here for you. Well, we decided to do another Q&A after the last one went so well. Uh, we got questions from Twitter, Reddit. Thank you to everyone who sent a question. I'm sorry if we can't get to all of them. But first question, Joe, from yes. at Slim with Delac. <laughs> If J-Dub takes a step defensively with what we know about Chet, does that make trading Dort something Presti should consider? Uh, no, I, I don't. I, I mean, I don't think the, the, those things are related necessarily. Yeah. Um, I, I saw this question and I think it's kind of a popular one among the, the fan base as far as like trying to find ways that makes Ludor more disposable, like easier to move on from like, yeah, if J-Dub becomes an elite defender, you have Chet, you know, do you really need a guy like Dort? I think, well, like, what what's the problem in that? Having like three potentially elite defenders on the floor with Shea, and then maybe you only have one minus defender uh, in Josh Giddy in that lineup. I think it all has more to do offensively. Um, can Lou Dort fit into the free-flowing style the Thunder wants to play in. Um, can Lou Dort, uh, you know, improve his shot selection, improve his finishing at the rim, improve as a three-point shooter? I think all of those things are going to have more of a long-term impact on his future with the Thunder than, like, guys around him getting better defensively. Um, I kind of think this is just, like, a way to try to, if you're not super high on Lou Dort, um, trying to find a way to move on from him. Before I answer this, I'm going to replace the back. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think that they are mutually exclusive where J-Dub can get better. Chet can be as advertised and Lou Dort's still on the team. I think some of it is just that it seems like four out of the five starters are pretty solidified. And just the one pivot point could be Dort. So that's what people are really interested in. But yeah, you can't have too many good defenders. And I still want to give Dort at least a chance this year to see what he does with these other guys out on the floor. Yeah, and I'm not saying like Lou Dort is going to be. Uh, obviously, he, he signed a contract with the Thunder last summer, but I'm not saying he's going to be a long-term fixture in OKC, a guy that they will certainly not trade. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if they do move on from him, I think the fit is going to be more about on the offensive end than the defensive end. Yeah, so I guess maybe the question is going, hey, if J-Dub does make a leap defensively, can that replace some of his production and give you more of a reason to move on from him? Maybe that's it. Yeah, well, and we were like having this conversation after they drafted Kaysen Wallace, right? A lot of mm -hmm. people asked us, like, is that a possible Dort replacement? And I mean, I don't think they, I mean, I know they didn't draft Kaysen Wallace with that thought in mind, but perhaps he emerges, perhaps Michich really sticks and um you know down down the roster other guys could where it makes you think okay like you know you're looking more for need and maybe Lou Dort has an overlapping skill set that isn't as much of a need anymore so you go 
elsewhere and kind of see what value he has uh, across the league. I just think we're, you know, at least a season uh, away from that. I mean, I, I think, you know, this team is just now forming. Chet's just now getting on the court. We got to see what J-Dub does in year two. Uh, and heck, Lou Dort is at the point where he could still improve. So I, I want to roll that out as well. Yeah, he's by no means a finished player. I think that he's like kind of shown you the player that he can be, but there are still things around the edges that he can improve on, change and things like that. And yeah, I don't think that Kaysen's the Dort replacement. I think it's Dort insurance, maybe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think that they're at right now the Thunder in any hurry to move on from Lou Dort. Next question from Harry nine four two nine. One eight three eight. Do ticket sales popularity? Uh, do ticket sales and popularity have anything to do with trading players, or is putting a team together solely based on how many wins they can get? I liked this question. Uh, I think the answer is no. In Oklahoma City, I don't think Sam Presti <clears throat> and the Thunder front office is making any moves with ticket sales in mind. Um, now the Thunder got lucky that like. Year one of this rebuild was when no fans were allowed in the arena anyway, anyway, during COVID. So that made the rebuild uh, a little easier. But at the same time, uh, you're not going to you're not going to bottom out to rebuild. Ownership's not going to let you bottom out to rebuild if like selling tickets is is the main thing. I think the Thunder has a long term look with this that you're bottoming bottoming out to rebuild to build another contender and if you build another contender people are going to show up um that's that's the biggest uh, correlation with um attendance in the nba teams that win uh tend to pack the arena regardless of of market teams that lose um you're not going to see a lot of people there like um i i was doing a, a written version of this question and i was like you know lamello ball if you ask like children eight to 12 who their favorite player is i feel like Lamelo ball is like extremely popular among kids um but like charlotte has horrible crowds i mean they're not gonna they're not packing the place just because Lamelo ball is so popular the hornets suck they're not gonna show up until they start winning um so it's like steven adams was wildly popular russell westbrook was wildly popular but if they were still on the team and you know, the Thunder was kind of mediocre. I don't think everyone would, uh, there wouldn't be 18,000 people every night just because those guys are on the roster. Winning cures all. The first team that came to mind with this was, well, they have a new iteration now, but it was like the Wizards. They feel like a team that would be just worried about selling tickets for a while and just being competitive. Mm-hmm. But to me, this feels more like an 80s or 90s mindset, maybe even the 70s where, you know, with the internet and TV guys weren't as, or they're so much more accessible now, like with LaMelo, you don't have to watch the full game. You can just watch it on TikTok for highlights or YouTube or yeah. things like that. And I think that's what most kids do. Whereas back in the olden days, I know that that's going to make some people mad. Uh, you had to go literally to the arena to see these guys. And there are certain guys that could sell tickets that you'd want on that marquee. But yeah, today, I think less teams are interested in that i think more teams are interested in the long term there are a few teams like the bulls and other teams like that but i don't think that as many teams are just going how can we get butts and seats because i i don't think that's the main point right now it's all about winning also the good players are usually the most popular players uh and they're good and popular because they're on winning teams so like that's that's kind of how 
how it works. So, yeah, and like the the only like I think it's still a real thing that obviously when the Warriors are in town, there's like tons of Warriors fans, mainly tons of Steph Curry fans. Um, you know, anytime LeBron's in town, that's going to create more buzz in the arena, more people in the seats. Um, but that's something that like is you know happens everywhere in the NBA. Like, you know, if uh, Shea goes to Toronto, there's a lot of people who want to see Shea play. So that's stuff like outside of your control. As far as like bringing in a guy on your team, it's like it might be nice after a while, but like he's also going to be playing 41 times, and uh, it, it's not like this like marquee event like visitor uh, teams when they come in. No, well, I mean, think about it. Who would the public, not basketball fans, rather go see Nikola Jokic or like Zach Levine? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Jokic is interesting because, you know, we appreciate his brilliance, yes. but it, it's not the most flashy. Like if, you know, Zach Levine gets on a heater from three or like jams in some monster dunks like that's going to get everyone fired up. But at the same time, it's like, you know the Nuggets are winning. So I I think they're selling more tickets right now than the Bulls are. Yeah, but visiting teams coming in selling tickets. But I think just the idea that you need to trade for like a star to be in your market for those like 41 home games, I don't think is a real thing. Next question from at T underscore Neil. Which player has the most to gain during the FIBA World Cup? I'm going to guess this is Thunder related. Yeah, shout out to uh, Tyler Neal, former Mm -hmm. OU basketball player. I I also took a, a a thunder approach to this question. I was trying to pull up my answer. Um, so there's been conflicting reports out of Serbia, which is a sentence I don't think I've ever said before, um, on whether or not Poku is going to play. It, it it's looking like he's not going to play, but he's still on he he's still on the Serbian national team roster. So if he plays, uh, I think he. I think he has the most to gain um, to show he's healthy, uh, to show that he made a step. Um, you know, there's there's still so many unknowns with him as he goes into the last year of his contract that I think he could sort of use a strong World Cup showing um, as kind of like a confidence boost heading into his fourth year. Now, all of this will be null and void if he does, in fact, not play um, for Team Serbia. The guys that Usman Garuba, he's on the Spanish national team. Uh, Jack White, he's on the Australian national team. I kind of put those two guys in the same category. I think you could make the case that they have a lot to gain and a lot to lose. They have a lot to gain in that if they have strong World Cups, that's one more data point the Thunder has to you know consider them of making the roster. If they get hurt or if they play poorly that makes the decision easier maybe so um a big world cup for for those guys as well yeah i had those last two guys jack white and Usman garuba just the back end of the roster i think that you're going to need every opportunity that you can get if you want to be a guy who sticks around so maybe that happens for them and then on the other end i went with Josh, just because it was going to be a team sort of built around him, and we haven't seen that yeah. super long term since maybe his rookie year when Shea was out for a while. But I thought that'd be interesting. Yeah, uh, Giddy is going to be really interesting to watch because he he has not played with the senior national team yet. He's played in a bunch of like 
U18 and, you know, growing up, it was a part of the national team system, but not for the, not for the main team. Um, talking to, I did a story, might've been after he was drafted. It was a couple of years ago. Um, kind of like gauging his popularity in Australia. And this is after, I think Australia medaled in the last Olympics and like Patty Mills was great. And like, you know, it was very clear that Patty Mills was the most popular and most beloved player in Australia. And, you know, as Patty Mills is kind of on the back end of his career, Josh Giddy is this up and coming player. Um, I, I think that might start to shift a little bit and it could shift as soon as, you know, later this month, if Giddy leads uh, the Aussies to a, a strong showing. Yeah, I, I think those are the three guys probably, though, especially Garuba and Jack White, just the most to gain. I don't I have no idea how much those guys are going to play for their respective teams, but it should be interesting just to give them one more opportunity to be playing in games because I know they're going to go into training camp and all this other stuff, but just actual game tape is different. Not to bring up Latvia again, but I, I couldn't think of a, a way that Bertans has to I don't know if he has much to gain or or lose, but shout out, shout out to all the uh, people in Latvia who I probably offended last week. Our giant Latvian viewership has just crumbled. Just the the number one the number one show in Latvia, the number one thunder <laughs> show in Latvia. That's our our tagline. Hopefully, and that's probably not even true. Probably but, not. Uh, <laughs> oh, moving on from at. Alex underscore Bowler Jack, what's the most important part of building a small market NBA team? Drafting, uh, developing. I, I think those two things go hand in hand. Small market teams are at an inherent disadvantage in that um, now more than ever, you're seeing free agency shift into it's really like a free agency via trade where stars are are sort of um forcing trades to to move to glamour markets uh and to form super teams in that way um no one's ever going to do that to Oklahoma City um so the thunder's only path to being successful is to draft really well and to develop those draft picks and kind of honestly what they're doing now like who knows if it'll end up working into a championship caliber team but a bunch of homegrown talent um that you sort of control their contracts and um, hope that no, hope that no one leaves because the things you can't change. Oklahoma is not uh, not bordering an ocean. It's not some mega metropolis. So you have to do things differently here. Uh, you're at a financial and geographic disadvantage. So um, really, uh, you know, drafting and developing is is the only pathway to success. Yeah, and there's no for sure pathway. I mean, I think the Thunder are doing the best that they can, taking the best route. But I put culture, drafting, and development. And I'm just looking at like a team like the Spurs who actually did win some titles. But the Thunder, like you mentioned, being in Oklahoma City, we're from Oklahoma, so we have some love for the city and the state that you know maybe some outsiders don't see as much. But the Thunder are not like the Lakers where you can just be bad for 10 years and then LeBron decides he just wants to play in your city and just save everything. Yeah. Or the Clippers, who have been a dysfunctional franchise for the large part of their history, it doesn't matter. They're in L.A. Like it makes it all the more 
perplexing that the Knicks have really never figured this out. Um, you, you've seen the Nets, you know, get get these uh, star players and did not work out so well. Um, the Heat, it, the Heat's kind of like the perfect combination because they've got South Beach and Miami, but they also have culture and guys want to play there and they have a great coach. So they've got everything going on for them right now. Um, the Thunder has to look at teams like, and these are hard examples to look at, but like Denver and Milwaukee, two recent champions. Um, now, both of them got very, very lucky, but also did a good job of drafting. Um, it's like, yeah, draft just draft Giannis in the middle of the first round or draft uh, Jokic in the second round. Like, that's not really uh, a style, uh, a, a strategy you can imitate. Um, but, you know, those teams kind of, kept their stars and although Shea wasn't drafted by the Thunder um he would be like the Thunder's version of those two guys and then you know fill in the right pieces around them and uh hope it works out yeah one thing I think that people get confused about is the difference between actual big market and NBA big market because Mm -hmm. there are teams and cities like um for example, Toronto is a huge city, not an NBA big market, though. It would be yeah. more considered as in a smaller market because it's not necessarily De- some more players. Detroit's go. another example. Yeah. They've got the NFL. They've got Major League Baseball. They've got the NHL and they got the Pistons, but they don't operate as a big market in the NBA. How many actually like, quote unquote, big market teams are there? It's like got to be less than 10. It's like, yeah, the Knicks. Um, I mean, the Nets, I guess the Heat. Yeah, both Clippers, Lakers, Warriors. Yeah, and see, the Warriors only recently mm-hmm. have been acting like that. Um, like Dallas, I, I would consider Dallas a big market, but they never sort of lure that free agent that they're always looking for. Houston's um, the same way. Yeah, Houston, Houston's similar. Um, Chicago, yeah, um, but not a lot of guys seem to want to go there. Boston, uh, and they certainly have history on their side, but yeah, past that, there's not many. Yeah, maybe Phoenix is the only other one that I would throw in there with their new ownership and its proximity to LA. But yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of unique things going in, uh, go into building a small market NBA team. From at Connor four six nine four four one four four to Shay, these like people's phone numbers. What's going on? Uh, here social security number, actually. <laughs> Does Shea have a real shot at MVP or does the team take shots away from him? Does Shea have a real shot at the MVP? This is like a tongue twister. Um, Shea has a shot at the MVP. I mean, he finished fifth for it last season. So, and, and that was on a Thunder team that finished below 500. So if the Thunder has another crazy breakout season and they win 50 games and Shea puts up similar numbers... Those things are all unlikely, but they're not like they're not unthinkable. So, like, I consider that a shot. Yes. Like, would I bet money on it? No. Would I predict it? No. But like, would I be completely floored um, if he's in that conversation? No, because it kind of was for for parts of this for parts of this year. It really comes down to more of a team context. Uh and how many games the Thunder wins. I don't think like shots are going to be a problem. I mean, this is a team where Shea is still going to to get his. And I mean, he's surrounded by 
players who are going to want to put him in advantageous shots. I mean, uh, spots, obviously you're adding Chet to the mix, but I don't think, you know, we've talked about Chet as a potential like fourth option, at least this season um, offensively. So no, I, I don't think that'll be his problem. The The hard part will be replicating his efficiency from last season. Yeah, and the dream scenario is that his points go down, but the efficiency goes up and the team success is better because there are other guys who can play well around him who take the load off of him a little bit. Currently, according to Vegas, on average, he's the ninth um, ranked player just in terms of MVP odds behind Jokic, Giannis, Luka, Embiid, Tatum, Durant, Curry, and Booker. I'd say that's probably appropriate. So there, there's a chance you know he can compete for it. I mean, if you get top five or first team all NBA like he did, you're obviously already in the conversation. And it feels a little bit like maybe, you know, you can tell me this is an MVP voter. It feels like with MVP, you kind of have to have the established year first before you can then chase the MVP. It's like how the Heisman used to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And it speaks to how good he was that, again, the Thunder did not have a winning record, yet he was a first team all NBA guy. Uh you know, maybe some of the counting sets are a little better. I'd have to compare them side by side with like Jason Tatum. But like, I think you could argue that um, Shea had a better statistical season, uh, but that's when team context comes into play so much. From at remote worker 12, do you see Mark still playing 12 to 13 man rotations, even though the team is back in winning mode? Like at what point does he start carving out specific roles? I'm very um, eager to answer this question. Because I, I think it really uh, came to a head during that Charlotte loss at the end of last season is like, oh my gosh, why, you know, it's winning time. Why is he playing Jared Butler and Poku and, you know, what's going on here? But it was like a very short-sighted, like I totally get the argument, but it was a short-sighted view of what the Thunder had been doing all season, all season. They'd been playing everybody in these sporadic rotations where you never know who's, uh, you know, you know, the main guys, but like Aaron Wiggins was like the perfect example. Some games he started and the Thunder never lost and some games he didn't play. Some games he played 12 minutes, some games he played 22 minutes. Um, but Dignalt used these rotations uh, in which basically everyone plays throughout the year that led to success. So then to think that he was going to change that at the end of the year uh, doesn't really add up to me. Now, we did see in the playing games, the rotations did narrow a little bit. And I, I think that's reasonable. If the Thunder's in a playoff series, I don't think they're going to play 13 guys. I think they're going to play, you know, eight, nine, maybe 10. But I very much believe they're going to play almost everyone who's suited up on the near nightly basis in the regular season to then get a look at all of the players to see which eight, nine or 10 uh, can be on the floor in, in a playoff game. I think it does playing a bunch of guys. Isn't just like a development tact from the thunder. I, I think they see it as like something they can use to their advantage. Teams never know what to expect. They're really hard to scout for because of this players stay happy. You don't really hear players around here pat about playing time because everyone gets playing time. Um, and I think that's really important. And just showing Sam Presti and the coaching staff, front office, everyone, like what exactly you're working with. So um, this year, I heavily expect more 
robust rotations. And I just think that's that was the pathway to success last year. And no reason to think that'll change. I like the point you made about keeping the guys happy and just keeping guys engaged because it's a long season. And if you're just on the bench and you feel like you're not going to play, it's very easy to get unhappy or just lethargic and just not really care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we hit the nail on the head last season whenever all the Charlotte stuff was happening because I remember people asking us, will they change course? And we both said, no, they've done this for 95% of the season. They're going to go the whole way f- for it. It's not going to change yeah. if they can get a play in spot. And it looks like that's what they did. This year, I would expect it's a little bit tighter, but not like a ton, just as you get into bigger and bigger games. But this is what Mark does. He's like a mad scientist. He's going to mess with these lineups. He's going to see what he can do. And I like that he at least gives things a chance because as much as some of these lineups may not be great, you got to still at least give it a chance and see what's out there because you don't know what you might be missing out on by just planting a guy on the bench. Yeah, and a lot of it can be matchup dependent. Um, a lot of it is, I mean, it took forever to get any sort of lineup data on the Thunder, especially like, you know, five-man lineup data because they never play the same five guys at once, basically, except for the starters. Um, but it's like seeing which combinations work. And, you know, I'm not I'm not sure the rotations are going to shorten this year. I mean, it would be hard to, like, play as many guys as many minutes as they did last year. but uh, you look up and down the roster, and there's like not a lot of guys where you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, we we know what he can do. We're not gonna, you know, worry about him. I think there's still a lot of young, intriguing players, even if they're not young, like Amicic. You got to see what he's gonna do. Uh, Poku is he's coming back. Usman Jang, Kaysen Wallace. I think Keontae Johnson, even as a two way, is gonna get some runs. So, um, yeah, I think you're gonna see this. You know. Uh, Again, I and probably moving forward until, um, you know, the roster is is formed in a way in which like there's a clear hierarchy, and right now that doesn't really exist. Yeah, to me, this season is a lot just like a tryout season for a lot of guys who want to just. It's like, do you want to be part of this team long term? And mm-hmm. Mark is not like Nick Nurse in Toronto, where it's like I'm going to play seven guys and just we're going to ride the wheels till it falls off. I think that. You know, he playing 12 to 13 man rotations. There's going to be a lot of those games like that this year. But I think there's going to be on average a few more 10, 11 man games. than there were last year where he kind of just emptied the deck. I mean, there were a lot of first quarters last yeah. year where they played 10 or 11 guys. Pretty crazy so, stuff. Yeah. What now, do we got next from at Joe Mundo ball? Could you see Bertans contributing to this team if they make a playoff push? Joe Mundo. Joe Mundo. Um, could I see Bertans contributing if they make a playoff push? Uh, sure. I I think you I think you could see Bertans and like I mean, Sharge was acquired after the trade deadline last year played kind of spotty minutes but he was in those he was in the rotation during the playing games i I think the roster is going to be deeper this year but like you know if they if they really need a a shooter in in certain spots i mean i i think isaiah joe would be called on first um and would fill that role but yeah i wouldn't be like shocked if bertans is is playing legit minutes uh however 
I will predict today on August 8th that if the Thunder is in a play-in game or in a game one in a playoff series, I think it's more unlikely than likely that, wait, I think it's, I think Bertans is unlikely to play more so than likely to play. I'd agree with that. I thought this was interesting. I looked it up. So Bertans, everybody knows the magic number is 62. If he plays 62 games at 75%, he'll get his contract fully guaranteed. Mike Muscala last year across two teams played 63 games. Mm. So they could deploy him in something similar. And even if they don't trade him, I don't think it's going to be something where it's like all or nothing, where it's like either he's a part of the team or he never touches the floor. I think you can kind of intertwine him and weave him in and out of rotations on a night to night basis when you need him. Like you mentioned, some of those matchups. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not as I'm not as bullish on Bertans as, as some people because. I mean, Dallas needed all the guys. I mean, they needed help last year, and like he just didn't get a lot of runs. So um, I'm curious about that. Now, I do think he could fit well on this Thunder team, but I think the value in keeping Bertans around is all about his contract, and that's a very movable number if they need to facilitate something more so than keeping him around for his three-point shooting. Yeah, and I just doubt it's going to be something where he shoots so well and plays so well that the Thunder are like, well, I guess we just have to forget about this contract. I think the contract is going to be number one on their priority list and just in terms of Bertans. Agreed. Next up from at my heart main with Chet back and the addition of Kaysen and Keontae, what can each player bring to impact the team as a whole? And I'd also throw Micic in there. He didn't, but... Just do you want to go through the the guys we're going to play the first time this year? I want you to answer this one first. I think Chet, it's going to be mainly on the defensive side. I think everybody gets really excited by him as like a stretch uh, three point shooter and what he can do offensively. But I just think the rim protection thing is going to be immediate and it's going to be the biggest impact on this team just in terms of what he can bring. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think Chet. His impact is going to be more felt on the defensive end than the offensive end. Um, as far as the questions like what Kaysen Wallace and Keontae are going to bring as well. Yeah, Kaysen, I think it's just going to be another guy to relieve some pressure off Dort, who can come in and play some defense and just be another stable guy. Keontae I have the most trouble with because I just don't see a lot of opportunity for him. He's going to get some chances on the main roster. That's just how the Thunder operate. But we've already seen with this roster crunch and the amount of guys they're kind of cycling through. I think it's going to be hard for him to get anything kind of consistent. Yeah, I wouldn't count on Keontae Johnson to to make an impact. If he does, that's just like gravy. You you take that and you're like, well, we maybe found another contributor on a two-way contract. Um, but I think most of his time will be in the G League just with the way the roster looks this year. Um I agree with you on on Case and Wallace, just a bulldog off the bench, play really stout defense. Um, even if his you know, offense lags behind at times, like he can I think his defense is ready um from day one, much like Chet's. And Michich is the big wild card on the roster. Like you uh you could convince me uh about several scenarios in which Michich either helps or hurts or works out or doesn't work out. Um, but I think ideally he comes in um, as a could play on or off the ball 
in a second unit um, who's a you know reliable veteran out there who makes the right plays uh, and hits the occasional open shot and tries to hold up defensively. I think the best case scenario is that he's like guard Kenrich, just as like a veteran who comes in as a stabilizer who can help calm things down for the younger guys and just kind of fill in the spots, but he doesn't have to have to necessarily take over things. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Next up from at Cooper Adams. Who are we thinking takes the biggest leap from last year and in what areas? Okay. Uh I don't know how much I believe this, but I, I think it would be pretty cool. What if Lou Dort takes a big leap in his finishing around the rim? That would be a game changer. I, I found some interesting numbers. So Lou Dort was was pretty awful at the rim. He shot 52%, uh, which is bad um, when you're right at the rim. If you take away dunks from that, he's shooting 47% at the rim. So basically 47% on layups at the rim. In Thunder wins... Dort shot 58% at the rim. In Thunder losses, he shot 46% at the rim. Um, so like this is kind of a, a big swing. Um, like, you know, if you're if you're missing shot after shot at, at the basket and just ending in uh empty possessions, I mean, that doesn't bode well uh, because teams are usually more efficient around the basket. So uh when Dort's better around the basket, the Thunder has a better chance of winning. Um Given his, I mean, this, you know, sounds naive, but like the dude is a workaholic. So I, I think he's going to put in the work this summer. Uh, I think his, you know, he's not going to get taller all of a sudden. So that is naturally going to limit him. Um, but he's strong enough. And I think, uh, you know, he could understand angles better, understand his own game better, understand how to, you know, change pace rather than just bulldozing his way to the rim just have a better feel for the game um as he goes into the season to to get a little better at the rim and that would be that would be a huge boost to his value yeah that would be incredible just his finishing stuff has been frustrating for a lot of people and if i don't know i he looks like a bull going through a china shop and if he could just slow down a little bit and decelerate on some of those drives i think it would help with his touch because it just feels like he's just on a bullet train headed to the rim and the ball almost crashes through the backboard on some of those drives. Think but, how many charges Jay will would take against Lou Dort. Oh, he, he fell out. Each other. <laughs> he fell out. Yeah. And Jay will would be in the hospital for just getting <laughs> rammed through the entire night. Um, I had, I had a couple here. Kendrick Williams, free throw shooting. Yeah, I think that could be, <laughs> that'd be massive. So, He's played five years. Here's his free throw shooting. 68%, 35%, 57%, 55% uh, in the last year, 44%. It is it is like such a mystery how Kenrich Williams is so bad at shooting free throws when he's like, he's got a solid shot. I, I mean, we've seen him knock down threes. He's He really likes getting to that to that mid-range but for some reason the guy cannot make free throws i assume some of that has to be mental or a large part of it um he also like doesn't get fouled a lot i, I mean his game doesn't really um you know he's not getting to the rim a ton so like his game doesn't really open himself up to that but 
I just wonder like subconsciously if he thinks about like not wanting to get fouled knowing what he shoots at the free throw line. So um yeah, get get Kinrich above uh, 60% from the uh free throw line. That'd be a big boost. Can you guess his uh most free throws attempted per game in his career? Just uh just on average like for uh, a season. Uh, 2.1 1.1 Oh my god. That was last year. That's the most he's ever attempted per game is 1.1. 1. 1. Um I mentioned Yeah, this- that's that's super low. Yeah. I mentioned this to our friend Andrew Schlecht, but I had a friend in college who did this who was a really good mid-range shooter but a bad free throw shooter and we even saw Tracy McGrady do this is just step back and take a dribble into it. If you're already a good mid-range yeah. shooter, I think that could be something who knows, but yeah, the mental thing is huge. We've seen that with a lot of guys who are bad free throw shooters. And I'm going from one guy to another with uh, shooting. And let me um, preface this by saying I'm not saying he's taking a shooting leap, but a small bump. I think having an entire offseason and full year of working on his new shot, I think that Josh could be in position to go up a little bit more than he even did last year. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, he... uh he talked pretty openly, uh, you know, some of the questions you asked him, things he was working through with his new jump shot, tweaking a, a few things that he learned from Chip England. And you look year over year and he was a 32 and a half percent three point shooter last year. Uh, obviously not great below league average, um, but that is compared to 26.3 percent from the year prior. So he jumped six percentage points. He is not going to jump six percentage points again and be a 38% free free throw shooter or three point shooter. Excuse me. uh, Talking about Kenrich Williams free throw shooting. Um, But like if he, if he goes from 32 to like 34, 35 on still like three plus attempts per game, that would, that would would be a good sign. That's what I'm going to say. If he can just get to league average, which I just looked up as 35.3, I think that would be Mm -hmm. huge for him just as a confidence booster and just helping this team. And it's not a massive bump like at some point with this improvement stuff, there's only so much higher you can go. So like Chip England has had this track record of helping guys where it's like Kawhi goes up by 6%, this guy by 7%. But at some point you kind of cap out where you're not going to be above like the 40s unless you're just a spectacular shooter. And most guys don't develop to that level. It's kind of something they are. They have at the the youth um, grassroots level. Yeah. And overall shooting. um he went up quite a bit as well. I mean, 42% field goal percentage two years ago, 48% last year. Um, but yeah, there's there's certainly a ceiling. He's not he's not ever going to be like a 40-plus percent three-point shooter. You look at his free throw percentage, 71% is, is a rookie, 73% is a sophomore. That's okay, but sometimes there's a correlation there of, you know, when you see guys that are like shooting you know, 87% from the free throw line, but like sub 35% from three, you always think there might be room for them to grow just given their natural shooting abilities. Giddy's not one of those guys, but I think he could be league average. And then the last one, this one's just hopeful thinking. Shea adds a few more three-point attempts per game. He averaged two and a half last year, which is his least since his rookie year at 1.7. But yeah, he had 3.6 his first Thunder year, 4.9 the year after, and then two years ago, 5.3 just hoping the volume gets a little bit more increased. I know he's not going to be like Steph where it's like 11, 12 per game, but if we can get to that four to five range, I think that'd be nice. I 
I think that'll happen. I think he's going to be back around that five range. Like you said, 4.9, 5.3, and then last year was 2.5. That was a huge dip. I really think so much of last year was it was just so dominant around the rim. No one could stay in front of him. No one could keep him off the free throw line. The, his mindset was kind of like, why would I take these threes if I can score so efficiently otherwise? Um, but we've seen him sort of experiment. It was like that sidestep three a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, numbers were were very bad. He shot 30% um, from three uh, two seasons ago. Kind of stopped shooting them all together last year, but was at 34.5%, um, which is, you know, one percentage point below league average, as you said. But it's going to be like a... It's going to be like a give and take with with him and defenses like they're they're going to adapt to him, learn his game more, and then he's just got to bust something else out. And I think that can be the three point shot because he is so slippery and so deceptive in how he changes speeds and gets to the rim and guys can't stay in front of him anyway. So then if like he's got defenders on their heels and uh, he steps back from three like that's just going to be impossible to guard um and even if that threat is there he he can then you know once guys start lunging out at him he's going to blow by him so um that's going to be a good weapon next up from at kent and nicholson i think the thunder picked up a number of junky wins last year's starters sitting disinterested or hurt do you agree with that and if so will that continue will they take the thunder more seriously or is that just part of a long season I've never heard the term junkie wins. Um, listen, I know uh, my friend Gideon Hamilton from the Sports Animal did uh, some research on this. And basically his conclusion was the Thunder got incredibly lucky as far as other teams missing star players. Um, I think a lot of this is happenstance more than anything. I mean, star players are sitting out regularly. And I think it's kind of a misnomer that teams go, hey, we're playing the Thunder tonight or we're playing the Hornets tonight, really picking on the Hornets. Um, So we're going to rest our guys. I don't think that's how it works. It has way more to do with the calendar and the pace of things and how guys are feeling than it does the opponent. No one is, you know, teams would have to be stupid to, to look at the Thunder and just like, not like look into the numbers, but just see like, oh, these guys have been bad for the last couple of years. I think they're bad again. We're going to rest, guys. That doesn't happen. Um, it it really, really doesn't. So um, did they get fortunate with their own injury health and the lack thereof of some of their opponents? Sure. Um, but do guys rest just because the Thunder on the schedule? I do not believe that's the case. I think it could have been the case a couple of years ago, but like even for instance, there was one this year with the Celtics when they came in and just didn't take the Thunder super seriously. And they said that whenever Shea wasn't playing and they blew him out at home, they scored like 150. I think that all that died now that Shea made first team all NBA. I don't think that you can just not take a team seriously if they have a guy who's considered a top five player last season. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like some teams didn't take them seriously i just think like when guys are sitting out um i don't know if that's based on you know i think more often than not it it, it's not based on the opponent now if a star 
is playing and sees the thunder, well then sure they might take it easier. Um, and I do think that has happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think this will be a talking point going into this season. You don't think star players are catching the Poku flu, just dodging Oklahoma City? Shoot. Beware of Poku. Beware of Poku. From Christy, uh, Crispy Toast Yum on Reddit, if you had a, uh, to form a pro team today, would you go with Shea or Luca as your main centerpiece? Oh, gosh. Um. I know your I, affection I, for Luca. <laughs> yeah, I I can't. If I if I don't have to watch the games, I'll pick Luca. If I do have to watch the games, I'll pick Shea. Um cuz I I it is not just because I cover him, but I enjoy Shea's brand of basketball so much more than Luca's and I'm not even talking about basketball. I'm talking about whining and griping and crying and complaining and putting your hands up and smirking and scowling and all of this stuff that Luca does that drives me absolutely insane. Um, I know Tim Bontemps has uh, kind of started this um, mm-hmm. this uh, this battle between who, who would you take in, in Luca versus Shea, saying that, you know, Shea's going to be the best player at, at the World Cup and uh, Luca's also going to be there. Uh, and Shea was better last season than Luca. Shea's team was better last season than Luca's. I still think, uh, given the track record, that I would that I would take Luca. But like this question would be kind of insane this time last year. Mm-hmm. Like we, it would unanimously be Luca. Um, so maybe I'm just kind of like a still have that in my mind. Maybe you ask me a year from today, we're saying Shea. And it doesn't sound as crazy. Um, I don't think there's a wrong answer, though. But yeah, I would lean slightly toward Luca. I would feel the same way. I think it comes down to a lot of just what type of basketball do you prefer? I think that Shea gives you a lot more versatility and optionality, whereas Luca, it's like he's going to play with the ball for 90, 95% of the game if you yeah. have Luca on your team. Shea is a way better defender. So mm-hmm. that's that's a factor. And just playing off the ball and. I don't know. I like guys who can play multiple positions. Luca, it's kind of like he's going to be here and he's going to play on the ball or he's going to be on the bench. That's kind of it. But there's no wrong answer. And um, hopefully these guys will get matched up in the playoffs one day and we can kind of get some some of this somewhat, quote unquote, you know, settled. But he also asked, who are your top 10 international players in the NBA today? How do you want to do this, Michael? Just rattle them off or what? Um. Yeah. If you want to, I had them somewhat ranked, but it's kind of loose. I don't know about okay. you. Okay. I'll go. I'm going to start with my top five. Okay. By the way, this exercise reminds you that the game is dominated by international players right now. Um. Number one, I have Jokic. Number two, Giannis. Number three, Luca. Number four, Embiid, and I have SGA fifth. Uh. I feel strong about Jokic at one, Giannis at two. Uh, you could make the case for SGA third uh, ahead of Luka and Embiid, as, as we just talked about. But uh, I think those are pretty clearly the top five. I agree. Jokic and Giannis are pretty much settled in. I put Luka at three, and I had Shea over Embiid, which I think most teams would probably still take Embiid since he's the reigning MVP, which it sounds crazy to take someone over the MVP. But I don't know. The health concerns and just 
the way that you talked about Luca, I just don't enjoy watching him beat on a lot of nights where it's just super, yeah. super slow and sluggish. Six through ten. Uh, these are in a looser order. Yeah. I, I didn't do like a deep dive into this, but um, I tried my best. I have Jamal Murray, Demonis Sabonis, Laurie Markinen, Pascal Siakam. I had Rudy. Well, I had Rudy Gobert at ten. Um, and then I was thinking, I was like, would I rather have Rudy Gobert, or Josh Giddy on my team? And I'd probably rather have Giddy, but like. I'm also taking into account that, you know, Gobert is a multi-time all-star. He's one of the best defensive players, has been one of the best defensive players in the league, was adjusting to a very difficult situation last year. And I still think, like, if he had another defensive player of the year type season next year, I wouldn't be surprised. So uh, I I gave Gobert the edge. But there are other, um, like, you could make the case for Giddy. OG Ananobi, I think, is in the conversation. Uh, Kyrie Irving, I don't know how we count him, but he is on the NBA's official list of international players. Um, trying to think who else missed the cut, but who who did you have? He played for Team USA. I'm cutting that out now. I don't care if they list him as international. That that should kind of <laughs> settle it for you. <laughs> That's you a good point. That's a good. So so we'll have to take Embiid off the list if he plays for USA. Yep, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> My favorite U.S. player of all team, Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, this uh, this yeah, they've talked about like Embiid having multiple paths, wh- whether it be uh, Cameroon or France or the USA. Everyone's recruiting him. Six through ten, I have Sabonis, Siakam, Markin, and Jamal Murray. So the same as you. My last spot. I couldn't go be- uh, go with Gobert. I just can't do it. <laughs> um, I went with Franz Wagner. Yeah, that's a good one. Really like Franz, but next Franz versus Giddy is interesting. It is very interesting. I I battle with it a lot. I think that Franz, in a lot of ways, right now might go number one in that draft. If there was a redraft, but then again, the yeah. Cade propaganda is strong right now, and I'm falling for all of it. Yeah, the Kate propaganda is strong. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I think we got pretty much everyone. I mean, I'm, I'm Ben Simmons. He he didn't make the list, did he? No. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a strong class. If if you're doing ten to twenty, uh, I think Lou Dort would probably wind up on that list. Um, I've got a good question for you. Yes. After this season, is Victor Wembanyama already in the top ten? Hmm. Um. I'm gonna say no. Now, obviously, if you're doing like, you know, drafting your, you know, franchise cornerstone, he yeah. might be behind. Jokic or and Giannis and may, maybe he's number one for all I know. But um, to to think he's going to be, I mean, those are really really good players. Like the top nine, especially mm-hmm. we we were in lockstep on the top nine, right? So yeah. like that's a pretty good group. So maybe he can, uh, maybe he can overtake my guy Rudy Gobert uh, or Franz Wagner for that tenth spot. That wouldn't be you know super surprising. Um, but you know, that would, that would mean he would have to have a spectacular rookie season, which certainly could happen, but uh, I'd give it another year. What do you think? 
Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I think that there's a chance, but yeah, Franz and all these guys, Giddy, I think they're going to have a nice head start just being in the NBA a little bit longer. But like you mentioned, we were in lockstep, the top nine. Eight of those top nine that we mentioned have been all NBA players. So it's not like you're talking about just random guys. These are the elite of the elite. Yeah, and yeah, I I, I mean, our, our top five looks like an MVP ballot. Mm-hmm. So I had Shea fifth. He just finished fifth for MVP. Like, and these are only international players. So it's pretty wild. International players and Joel Embiid. Yes. <laughs> From this uh, guy says on Reddit, his name is this guy says, okay, who do you predict will end up being this, uh, our sixth man this year? Sixth man. I'm going Case and Wallace. I, I'm Case and Wallace over Michich. I think that might be the the battle here, but um, the Thunder has more invested in Case and Wallace. He is obviously younger than Michich, uh, has a you know bigger upside, and um, I think they're just going to want to get more looks at him uh, than Michich. Now, by the end of the season, maybe that flip-flops, but I'll go Wallace. I went with Micic. Um, I think that it it's going to be interesting between those two guys, or even Kenrich you could throw in there as a six-man. But I think it's going to come down between Micic and Wallace just in terms of who Mark likes more, and most coaches lean towards the veterans even though they're both rookies. But then again, Mark is not like every other coach. Yeah, also, like the Thunder's not going to have a traditional six-man in which like yeah. one player is always the first guy off the bench. I'm thinking more so like who's going to play the most minutes outside of those five starters. Um, I think Wallace and Micic are the most likely. Uh, I don't think Kenrich is going to get there just from a, you know, minutes standpoint probably, but I I mean, the most reliable player off off the bench is probably going to be Kenrich Williams. Jay will, you never think of like a big as a sixth man, but he's going to play a ton. So yeah, those are probably the names that, that stick out. I have one more question for you from Andrew from at Andrew Boo Boo Two. You are a mad scientist capable of giving Thunder players the characteristics of animals. What animal do you mix with what players to make the ultimate basketball team? What animals do I mi- so like I'm thinking of one player, one animal type of thing. I don't think it'd be fair if it's like I'm gonna give every attribute of every animal to every player. Yeah, like yeah, like I, I can't just combine like an elephant with a cheetah yeah. and have this huge, super fast behemoth of a basketball player. So so you're saying one player and one animal. Mm-hmm. Do you have one? Chet with the strength of an elephant maybe would be really nice. <laughs> That's a good one. I was kind of thinking the opposite, like just talking about like uh, I, I wouldn't pick this one, but the first one that came to my mind when I was talking about Lou Dort finishing at yeah. the rim, I was thinking of like Lou Dort as a giraffe, like ha- having that height, uh, just finishing uh, easier. Um, it, it's hard because like shooting, I, I don't think that would be represented by any no. animal. Um, I know, so I- yeah, I think size, I think, yeah. You know, Chet's not going to be pushed around if he's got part elephant in him. 
you can block shots with a trunk. I, there's there's just a lot of possibilities. I'd give Giddy like the agility and leaping ability of like a rabbit, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. This is, this is a very bizarre. Que- it's a good question, but it's stranger in that like we're like combining a human with an animal. Like there's a lot of ways you could go with this. Maybe maybe Dort uh, and a turtle, so he slows down a bit. Um, well, according according to Case and Wallace, he already has that dog in him, so we don't have to touch him at all. And everyone's got that dog in him. Everyone, Do- dogs are off the board because it's already in them. Yeah. <laughs> well, on Friday we're going to go an hour just talking about this. We're going to go into what animal we can combine with Sam, Mark, everyone in the front office. We yeah. I, I will not be asking Sam or Mark this, but I would like to see their face if that question was asked to them. Sam, Joe Masato of the Oklahoma, do you have that dog in you? <laughs> Could you ex- expand on that? Could you explain on uh, what dog, maybe? <laughs> Just, yeah, what type of dog is in you? That's, oh, boy. That's, this was fun, Michael. That's the feature uh, right there. This was fun. Thank you all for the questions. Thank you, Joe, for joining me. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a description, too. We love the constructive criticism. Make sure to join back on Friday for more Thunder Talk.